The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus journeyed to a city called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd accompanied him. As he drew near to the gate of the city, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he was moved with pity for her and said to her, Do not weep. He stepped forward and touched the coffin. At this the bearers halted, and he said, Young man, I tell you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, exclaiming, A great prophet has arisen in our midst, and God has visited his people. This report about him spread through the whole of Judea and in all the surrounding region. The Gospel of the Lord. I don't know about y'all, but it's nice to be back in green. I think that's part of the beauty of the liturgical year is each of the seasons, it goes on just long enough to kind of get us ready so that we're excited about the next one that comes. Uh, you know, when, when Lent, you know, Lent goes on and finally you get to Easter, you're like, okay, good, it's time. Uh, and then Easter goes on and then finally, uh, you know, it's again, uh, it's time. Uh, it's time for that ordinary time of the year, the, the ordered time, the in a sense, the liturgically quiet time in which we simply walk with the Lord, that we hear His gospel, that in the other seasons there's you know, so many other things going on and there's a specific focus for each of the seasons. Uh, but here in ordinary time, it's the, the quiet journey of discipleship with Jesus, the normal way of life. We pick up this weekend uh, as we left off uh, the last time we were doing ordinary time uh, with readings from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, in the third year of the three-year cycle. And appropriately, we begin with this reading that we just heard. The Gospel of Luke was one which focused especially on those who were kind of the, um, the, most, uh, the most vulnerable of society at the time. St. Luke is the only gospel writer uh, who was not a Jewish man. In fact, he's the only one of, the, uh, of, the, of the, the writers of the New Testament who was not himself originally a Jew. He was a Gentile. Uh, and the Gentiles were the ones who were kind of the, uh, the, the second class, in a sense, in the Jewish community. And so he felt that, uh, that, that reach of Jesus to himself personally. And so much of his gospel contains those passages where he speaks to others who are in a similar situation, uh, particularly women of the day, and especially widows and orphans. And so it's appropriate that we pick up with this piece in which the Lord Jesus is coming to a widow to raise up her son. Appropriately also is the fact that the church gives us in her wisdom the background of Elijah, so we can, in a sense, experience what the Jewish people would have experienced in that own day. We start with Elijah. Elijah the prophet, the greatest of the prophets of the Old Testament. To be a prophet was a great thing, but at the same time, it was a terrible thing. Because the prophets were not necessarily well liked by the communities in which they served. Because the prophet was one who was raised up by God basically to kind of make people uncomfortable. Whenever they weren't following the way of the Lord, whenever they weren't doing the things of God that he desired of them, 
he would raise up a prophet and the prophet would come and he would work great works and he would say things basically to let people know if you don't get in line, what's going to happen is not going to be good. And they would give these, these prophecies of, of things that would take place. And everybody was saying, geez, Debbie Downer, huh? Like, we, we, we don't want to hear that. Give us some good news. No, don't, don't bring that doom and gloom stuff. We want to hear the good news. And they would say, okay, well, here's the good news. And they would say the exact same thing again. If you follow the way of the Lord, this is the good news. But if you don't, here's what will happen. And so often they were, they were cast out. They were, they were sent away. They said, we don't want to hear you. We don't want to even see you. Go. And of course, what would happen was that the bad thing that they prophesied would take place because the people were hard of heart. And so the prophets became basically a scourge of the people of Israel. Nobody wanted to see them. Nobody wanted to hear them. Nobody wanted to deal with them. And it's in that place that Elijah comes to the widow at Zarephath. Yeah, the widow of Zarephath, to this woman, to stay at her home. And she welcomes him at first. She, she receives him into her home. And then her son dies. And she knows exactly why. <laughs> because Elijah came. Elijah, the prophet of God, right? And as soon as he shows up, my son gets sick and dies. Go away. <laughs> Go away, Elijah. All you do is bring doom. It's in that place that Elijah responds and says, okay, I will show you. Implicitly, he says this. He brings her son, he takes him upstairs, and three times he lays over him, extends hands over him, and he prays to the Lord God. Lord God, revive the life within him. Bring him back. Three times he calls upon the Lord. And lo and behold, the man revives. He's raised up. And Elijah takes him and brings him back to his mother. And she rejoices. And in the joy of her heart, she says, Truly, you are a man of God. She sees that before, what seemed to be as, a, as one who was unwanted, who was a scourge, is in fact the presence of the Lord. He's the man of God. He's the one who can do powerful things. She sees that and proclaims the truth of who he is. Not someone who's wanted, but someone who indeed has great power with the Lord. That's the background of the story that we get today for the gospel. Because the Jewish people, their faith was their race, was their religion, was everything. When we say the Jewish people, it was an ethnic group as well as a religious group. They were one and the same. And their, and their, and their community was very close in the sense of telling their story over and over again. Like many ancient cultures, a verbal culture, where they would tell the story of the things that God had done. And so Elijah, being one of the greatest of the prophets, was well known in his stories, well known by the people of Israel. They were able to connect those dots in their own daily life as they saw things and to go, this is like the time when God did such and such. This is like the time when Elijah, one of the upper, other prophets, did this thing or whatever. And they started connecting the dots. And so it's in that place that the Lord Jesus comes today. He's going to the city of Nain. He's in the middle of his journey. He's walking around with his disciples, a large crowd along with him. And he comes to this city and he sees a funeral procession taking place. A funeral procession in those days was a rather large event. It was something that, that, that everyone would kind of crowd around in the procession. Those who were witnessing it would join in the procession, praying for the one who had died. Two, 
They would have people who are, in a sense, the professional weepers and wailers. Those who were the hired ones who would come in for the funerals in the community and they would weep and wail and they would lament and they would cry out in sorrow. It was part of their job in the community to lament those who had died. And so certainly they would be there too and many of them. Again, it says, for them, a large crowd was there around her, the woman. And rightly so, because it was a widow who had lost her son. In the culture of the day, the man provided everything and the woman cared for the home. Period. There was, no, there was no other circumstance. And so when a woman's husband died, she had to rely upon her children to care for her. And if her only son dies, she's completely at the mercy of whoever might be willing to help her or not. She's completely vulnerable. No one to provide for her other than just the good charity that she hopes will come from other family members and friends or neighbors. Complete vulnerability. And Jesus sees that, he knows that, and his heart is pierced for love of her. He looks at her and he knows that she's a widow. He knows that that her only son has died. He's God, right? He knows these things. And so unlike what normally happens, he reaches out himself. So often we hear other stories where, where the individual cries out to the Lord, where other of their friends cry out to the Lord, Lord, help this person, help my servant, help my, help my son, help my daughter, raise them up. Or other instances, and when the disciples come, they say, Lord, they need food, heal this person, this person needs this. And they draw the attention of Jesus to someone. But that's not what happens here. It's the Lord who sees it and responds of his own free choosing. For the love of his heart, he reaches out to the woman, he says, do not weep. And he goes forward, and he touches the coffin. And he says to the son, I tell you, arise. And he raises up, and he speaks, and the Lord Jesus gives him to his mother. We can see certainly some of the parallels between the Lord Jesus and his miracle and what happens with Elijah. That it was the, the, the only son of a widow who is raised up. But there's something different about Jesus from Elijah. I, Elijah, three times he had to lay over his hands and to pray and invoke the Lord God to bestow life to this man. And Jesus simply says... Arise. It's not a prayer of, of asking God to do something, it's a command. Because Jesus isn't just a mighty prophet, he's the mighty prophet who is God himself. He's the Son of God who has power to raise up. He doesn't have to ask the Father to do things, because he himself can do them. And the people respond, they acknowledge both of those realities. They acknowledge the reality that he is just like Elijah in a certain sense. They say, a great prophet has arisen in our midst, one like Elijah, one who raised up the dead. But also, God has visited his people. The story about Jesus isn't just Jesus doing a kind thing for someone. It's not just a story of mercy, although certainly it is. It's a story of Jesus revealing himself in his mercy to show that he is fully man a prophet mighty in deeds and word, but also he is God with us. He's Emmanuel, right? He's the Lord. He has power to do these things. And he shows it once again very clearly to his disciples, to this woman, and to all who were there to witness it. What's interesting is that Jesus is still with us in that same sense. 
in the story, when he goes up to the disciple, he goes up to, he goes up to the coffin and he touches the coffin, which is something you should not do in Jewish culture. That was a no-no, a big one. Because to, to touch those who had, de- who had died or those who had, had, had become ritually impure by some, by some form was to become impure yourself. You were ritually impure yourself. And you couldn't go in the temple until you went through the right procedures and right time frame and had these prayers done, had these rituals done. So you became pure once more and then you could go worship your God. Until that time, you were kind of separated from the Lord as well as from the rest of the community because if somebody touched you, then they were impure, right? And so Jesus reaches out just like Elijah And he touches that thing which ought not to be touched. And in doing so, he brings forth life. He places, he touches that thing which nobody even expects him to do. It would be enough for him to simply come up and to console the woman. To let her know your son will be raised up on the last day. To share the good news. Don't weep. Have faith in me. I'll raise him up on the last day. That would have been great. A little word of consolation to a woman. An act of kindness and charity. But he goes even further to that thing which no one expects, no one even anticipates, and no one even would have asked. He does that because of his love and mercy for her, for the son. And he wants to do the same for us. So the question is, where's the coffin in our life right now? Where's the place that Jesus shouldn't touch? Where's the place which, which isn't, isn't right for Jesus to be there? That he's supposed to stay in his side. He's supposed to not come to that close, to that particular place in our heart, in our soul, in our daily life. That thing where maybe it's shame that keeps us from the Lord, or fear. That's the place Jesus wants to touch. That's the place he wants to come. He's God with us. Not just God kind of kind of close to us. He's with us, right alongside us. And He wants to heal us. He comes to us, just as He did to that woman and her son. He comes to us right now, on this very altar. And without us having even to ask, He descends and He gives Himself to us, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, to touch us and to heal us. Where is that place we need it today? Where is that place we need the hope of the Lord, the life of the Lord? Where is it he needs to come and to revive us? And let us name that place as we come forward. That touching us, we might be healed. We might be brought to life. And two, along with those who are around us, we might say like those in the gospel today, indeed, God has visited us.